pick is in. It's the Draft Podcast with me, Lance Zerline, Houston Sports Talk radio host for years and years, NFL draft writer and analyst for years and years, and I am also the guy who handles the NFL draft profiles and team needs and draft analysis on draft day and the combine on broadcasts on NFL Now. You'll see me from time to time on NFL Network. And then, of course, I'm on Twitter, at Lance Zerline, Z-I-E-R-L-E-I-N. And what I do here on The Pick Is In, and this is the third incarnation of The Pick Is In, um, we, we try to give you a little different, and by we I mean me and this microphone, try to give you a little different vibe, a little different feel in the podcast world. Today, Mike Mayock is is part of the podcast. I'm very excited about that. But we have Making the Grade, which is a look into my draft grades on two to three prospects in a given week and where I come up with my grades, why I come up with those grades, and who some of the player comps are. And then also, I'll interview some of the industry leaders. It's really not an interview so much as us discussing back and forth you know, some different hot-button topics and player debates. And then I'm going to pull the curtain back. And I always hope to pull the curtain back on the process. I've always I've been a fan of the process and really allowing people for years. What I've tried to do is, is bring the average fan into the process so they understand how things work. Because I think it benefits the fan and it benefits the NFL teams and scouts and coaches and general managers if everyone is on the same page in terms of how ideas are processed in the NFL, how picks are made, why picks are made. Now, that doesn't mean that just because I tell you how it's done or why it's done that the guys doing the picks and making the evaluations are doing the right things or doing a good job. Some do a great job, some don't. Some will hit, some will miss. Some great ones will miss. It happens. I just hope to to kind of clue you in on the entire process and pull the curtain back for you. And that's what I'm going to do that right now in this segment with a discussion and a frank discussion about agents. Now, player agents are very ne- very necessary. Not just player agents, but I mean agents of all kind. Um, I have an agent. I have an agent who handles my contract negotiations. You know why? Because if I didn't, and I, and I haven't in the past, I get pissed off. Because the other side is trying to, you know, offer me, frankly... In, in many negotiations, they've tried to offer less than my market value and less than I thought I was worth. And all that does is create hard feelings. So I get someone to handle my contract so I stay out of it. I think it's it's best for me. I think it's best for the relationship between me and management and you know, make sure that I don't I don't hear some of the things that they may say to try to drive down my value. Similarly, and so, so that guy is an advocate for me, and I'm using myself as an example. Similarly, agents are advocates for their clients, and in this case, we're talking the NFL draft. Really what they are, in, in some instances, not just advocates, they're hype men. Think about the rap game. You've got hype men, the guys who a lot of times are on the stage, and you're not really sure why they're on the stage. There might be nine or ten guys on the stage with one rapper, and you're like, the hell are all these guys doing on a stage? But it's that one guy, the one, like, the 1B. 1A is the primary rapper. 1B is the guy who's trying to, you know, get the crowd hyped up. He's kind of the hype man. 
old school rap fans, Flavor Flav, hype man to Chuck D and Public Enemy. So in some ways, that's what an agent is. But let's remember, agents also sign these players. They're the ones who, you know, pay the cash money for these players to all train at these really nice facilities, these high-end, you know, uh, advanced facilities so that they are able to test well at the combine or, or pro days and get drafted as highly as possible. So one of the other things, so not just, you know, they're investments for the for the, for the the agents. And then the players want to find the best hype man they can find and a guy that they trust and, and that they, you know, that they have a, a bond with in some instances. My relationship with agents started, um, I guess, probably about 15 years ago. Um, met my first sports agent and actually became, I think, pretty good friends with the guy. Um, he heard me on Sports Talk Station. This was before I was officially doing a lot of the draft stuff I'm doing. But over the years, I don't want to say our relationship is, is soured, but I think it's definitely changed, um, sometimes just because family and kids change things. But then I, I'm not for sale ever, and I don't think he expects me to be for sale. But I'm going to say some things sometime that agents aren't going to like because I'm going to call it exactly how I see it. I have no agendas. If I think your, can't, your guy can't play, I'm going to say it. That's the way it is. If I think your your guy can play, I'm going to say it. I'm not going to do favors. I'm not going to you know give advantages to agents one way or another. I got a job to do, and I've got credibility. And my reputation with you guys means a great deal to me. And I'm not going to risk that. My reputation with NFL personnel men and scouts who I'm friends with, and NFL coaches and college coaches, I'm not risking that because I want to do a favor for a friend who's an agent. It's never going to be the case. That's why I'll never really be. I'll be more acquaintances with agents than uh, than friends. But you know, agents. A lot of that's it, kind of a, a bad word for some people because they associate it with with holdouts and things like this. But from a draft standpoint, agents are very necessary. They get information out to people that need to be out there. Um, I'll give you an example. There are times where an agent will come to me, Keenan Reynolds quarterback for Navy who's transitioning to running back. I wrote in my draft profile, one of the earlier draft profiles I did, I wrote about his issues with fumbles. It's a big deal. And I talked about he's fumbled a ton and he's got some ball security issues. But one of the things his agent pointed out to me and advocated and really stayed on me on emails about as well is that, hey, he's also an option quarterback. Don't forget, he's going to have more fumbles. And that's true. That's accurate. He needs to be in my ear telling me this. Now, whether or not I change my draft profile, you know, that's not he, – he can't do anything about that. But if he sees something that he thinks is wrong, he needs to be out there trying to correct that. Um, ultimately, we are media members, and there are going to be some NFL people who know my work and respect it. There are going to be people who don't give one flying piece of crap about what I have to say, and there are going to be other people in the NFL who have no idea who I am or what I do. And that's that's fine. Um, and I think it's kind of funny when agents get worked up over what my draft grades are, since I'm not the one influencing war rooms and draft discussions. Trust me when I tell you that. I don't think many people are in the draft media. But I do respect that agents need to get information out there, especially the positive information, the backstories on who some of these players are. They're conduits. For with scouts and coaches and general managers and personnel men, they get that information out there to them as well. If an agent is very trustworthy, and you really have to learn from this side of the microphone, it, it takes a while to learn who you can trust 
and who not to trust, who is going to be blowing smoke and who's giving you legitimate information. I've made, I've had smoke blown before and then I've assumed that agent was just always blowing smoke and then the information he gave me about where his guy was going to be drafted ended up being accurate and what teams that were looking at his, you know, at his client that ended up being accurate. So it's a learning process, but there are also agents who you can really trust, agents who will put information out there. They'll, they'll let you have information that they expect to be kept off the record. And sometimes it's not always necessarily beneficial to a draft grade on, on their client, but it's, but it's important for someone in my, in my line of work to know the entire picture about a player, his family situation, his personal background, um, you know, some of maybe what teams are, are telling these agents they think these guys are capable of doing that maybe is off the grid and off the radar. I get inside information that way from time to time. So when you hear the phrase agent, just know this. These guys are out there grinding at the Shrine game, at senior ball practices, at the Combine. I'm getting phone calls from them and emails from them and questions, not, not a ton, but it's starting to grow with my second year writing for NFL, uh, doing the draft profiles. I'm hearing from more and more of them. But, you know, I, I had a nice conversation with one guy who wasn't happy with my draft profiles, uh, some of my draft grades on a couple of his prospects over the last, uh, I guess, last couple of years. And I saw his name on Caller ID. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. And he actually was very happy with. Uh, with one of the grades I had on one of his clients. And he gave me some good information about this player that I didn't know that was important to me. So just pulling the curtain back, this isn't going to have an impact necessarily on how you guys view the draft, but just know this, there are certain agents who can shift and shape um, the direction of certain draft picks with certain teams. They absolutely can. And their job is always to advocate for the players. So just a little something that is important behind the scenes in the draft process that you guys won't get a chance to look at much. And I wanted to do that for you here on The Pick Is In. Next week, we're going to take a look at the world of scouts and the area scout. Here with Mike Mayock, and we're uh, today. I want to do a deep dive on the quarterback position because something that I think is interesting, Mike, is that you know when you look at the top three quarterbacks, and I think most people in the top three quarterbacks have, depending on how you want to slot it, Goff, Jared Goff, uh, Paxton Lynch, and Carson Wentz. Those are the three quarterbacks. But I was asking a question the other day about the strongest arms in the draft and, and you know who's a fit for vertical teams, like the Cleveland Browns, for example, if Hugh Jackson wants to, to be very vertical. And when I started thinking about it, you know the, the biggest arms in the draft, really, there's two guys that come to mind, and they're not in the top three. And I don't think they'll be in the top three when it comes draft time. And that's Cardell Jones and Christian Hackenberg. And I want to take a look at these two quarterbacks because – the big arm is usually what gets teams, I know, excited, and yet I'm not sure that these guys, because of their accuracy issues, are going to generate the same level of excitement. And let's start off with Christian Hackenberg, quarterback Penn State. Big arm, big frame, good-looking kid, had a really solid year with Bill O'Brien there at Penn State his freshman year. But since then, the bad habits, uh, when I say bad habits, mechanics, uh poor footwork, it's just everything has really just fallen way, way off for him. You know what's interesting, Lance, is that 
you know, I've got quarterbacks grouped in three different groupings. One is guys that could potentially have a first-round grade, and I would take the three you mentioned and add Connor Cook and into that group as potentially having a first-round grade. And then I have a grouping of two quarterbacks that I call wild cards, and they're, they're the exact two mm-hmm. that you just mentioned, Hackenberg and Cardale Jones. And, and for me, wild card comes with a tag, fire beware. I look at those two kids. I was at the Manning Passing Academy last summer, um, and I stood next to Hackenberg and watched him throw the ball. And he's like you said, big, strong kid, big arm, ball comes out beautifully. I mean, visually, you want to buy into that. You want that. But the tape is so bad that I look at it and say, remember Logan Thomas a couple years ago? Oh, yeah. Virginia Tech? Mm-hmm. Who, by the and, way, got overdrafted by Arizona. Well, there's always going to be somebody that wants to put the pieces back together. And you mentioned with Hackenberg, you know, great freshman year. And, and he did. And the guy that knows more about him than anybody is the head coach of, of Houston who happens to need a quarterback, Bill O'Brien. So it'll be interesting to see what Bill O'Brien does or doesn't do as the draft progresses with Hackenberg. But my point is, Logan Thomas was similar. If you saw him as his redshirt freshman year in the bowl game against Michigan, you would say that two years from then he'd be the first pick in the draft. But his tape was so bad, Bruce Arians took him in the fourth round, and he's, he's still struggling. And I'm the same way with Hackenberg and Cardell Jones. I, I know they offer a ton of talent, size. They look great on the hoof. But the caveat I would also add to that is the best-looking pro day I ever went to in my life for a quarterback was Jamarcus Russell. And he had as big an arm as I've ever seen in my life. Scouts and coaches were just shaking their heads at the pro day. It was so beautiful. But at the end of the day, the kid didn't love the game, and the kid wasn't prepared to make the sacrifices to be any good. And I'm not saying that's the case with Jones or Hackenberg. I'm just saying that their tape is so questionable that you better be careful in what you do with them. Yeah, and and Hackenberg, and that's my biggest problem is I, I hear people that want to get excited and sell themselves on Christian Hackenberg, and these are people who have not watched actual tape of him because the and I mean the most basic of basic throws are not anywhere near the mark. And I mean simple swing passes are way off target. Now, you ask him to throw it down the field 40 yards, he can lay it in there with soft, feathery touch. He's got great touch down the field on his deep throws. He's got an absolute cannon for an arm. But the game is really won and lost. This isn't the 1970s Raiders. The game is won and lost in short and intermediate games. And while I do like the fact that he's made better decisions this year and he didn't turn it over as much, I just feel like, you know, we saw this with David Carr in Houston. Once you have been pressured as much as he has and you start to see a guy have issues with mechanics and poise because of that pressure, and his accuracy already is not great accuracy just from, you know, as his baseline accuracy, it's hard to fix all of those things into becoming a starting winning NFL quarterback. I I mean... I agree with almost everything you just said there. I, I don't think he's got great deep touch and accuracy. And, and, you know, I looked at, for instance, the Maryland game, and he completed that Maryland is an aggressive team. They play a lot of press. They mm-hmm. challenge you to throw the ball down the field. He had a bunch of completions that, that I thought were four throws where wide receivers made plays. Right. But bottom line, Lance, is I agree with everything you said. It's, to be fair to the kid, 
he has taken a beating. He's taken an awful beating. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I think his mechanics and his pocket awareness have suffered. And again, it, it, to me, it all comes down to where would you take a chance with a kid like him or Cardell Jones in the draft? And for me, it wouldn't be anywhere in the top four rounds. Cardell Jones, another interesting prospect. Caught everyone by surprise last year. I had a scout tell me during the uh, early portion of this season that he thought that Cardell Jones would have been a top-two-round pick if he had come out last year because there wasn't enough tape on him to pick apart. He said, the more tape we get on him, the more we're going to be able to pick him apart. And I think, you know, I mean, Cardell just played himself out of an early-round selection, I would assume. Now, this is another guy that there are times, Mike, where he makes throws that you just say, wow, I might be watching Ben Roethlisberger here. Just an unbelievable talent. But the consistency is nowhere near where it needs to be. The accuracy is nowhere near where it needs to be. And then, let's face it, tremendously inexperienced. So if you draft Cardell Jones, you know that you're having to redshirt him at least for a year and maybe two years. So that really hurts his draft value. And then we're, we're not even getting to the point that you have to have that discussion about can decision-making and accuracy be fixed. People thought they could fix Jake Locker's accuracy, and they could never fix it because I don't think, just like with Logan Thomas, as you mentioned, I don't believe that baseline accuracy issues can be fixed. I don't think it's possible. Well, I'm the same place with both these kids as far as every game you watch, there's one or two or three throws where you go, wow, that was freaking awesome. And very few human beings can make that throw, that particular throw. And that gets people excited. However, I, I think that's the bait. I think somebody's going to fall for the bait and probably overdraft one or two, either or both of these kids. And you can put Virginia Tech tape on at the beginning of the year and watch him make a couple throws down the field while he's getting hit. Like you said, it looks a little bit like Ben Roethlisberger. I know the throw you're talking about because that's when I that's when I said I think I just saw Ben Roethlisberger where he rolled left, he's outside the pocket to his left, and all of a sudden he just uncorks a throw, and I'm like, I think I just saw Ben Roethlisberger. There were a couple throws in that game where where he was getting drilled by by a free runner on a blitz, and still put it where it had to be, and you go, wow, that's awesome. But the other ninety percent of the throws, as you watch more and more tape, you go, no, there's a reason why Ohio State benched them. And all I'm saying is I root for both these kids. They have a ton of talent. But if I'm a GM, I'm looking at those kids, and they've got a huge label called Buyer Beware. You know, Mike, I think general general managers and head coaches can buy into flash and wow moments for a pass rusher, for a wide receiver, for a linebacker and not get fired. You buy into wow and flash moments that don't translate into success at the quarterback position, and you get fired. That's what history tells us. Well, and, but it also depends on where you take the kid. Right. You take him in the fifth round, and, and you know it's a project. It's one thing. If, if you take him in the first or second round and hope he's the answer today, that's another issue. But these two guys are not going in the fifth round. I don't know where they're going. I really don't. And and I think it's way too early in the process. And, you know, I, I think there are people comparing these two kids to, to Logan Thomas and seeing what happened with Logan Thomas so far. Well, we both know it just takes one. And let me ask you this. Let me go the other way with it. What are the odds that either one of these guys make it into the first round? 
I, I, I mean, it'd be a stretch, but there's Bill, there's Bill O'Brien at twenty two. And I mentioned Bill earlier. You're right. It'll be interesting to see if Bill went after him in the second round. But I don't see first round for either of them. And in, in, I mean, I and obviously I could very easily be wrong, but I don't see it at all. Well, tape's not even close. Uh, tape's not even close. And there's a lot of work, as you mentioned, that has to be done to piecemeal this back together. Appreciate it, Lance. Thanks, man. Well, it is about that time here on The Pick is In to get to making the grade. Now, each and every week, I'm going to take you inside my personal draft profiles and draft grades for NFL prospects that you can find at NFL.com. Why? I'm giving the grades I'm giving, some of the strengths I see, and some of the weaknesses. Instead of just reading it, which I want you to do, click on thousands of them. Technically, about 507. But still, because I want to tell you you where I get what I'm seeing and how I translate it into a grade. I want to take you through the process. And that's what making the grade is all about. So let's take a look at three premium prospects this week. Now, one of the guys that I'm going to talk about, as a matter of fact, let's start with him right now, Jordan Howard. Some of you are saying, what? Jordan what? Yes, Jordan Howard. He's a running back from uh, Indiana. You know him? No? You don't know him? Well, let's talk about him. He was at Alabama-Birmingham last season. And, of course, they got rid of their football program, so he came over to Indiana And I'll tell you what he's done. He's taken over where Tevin Coleman left off. And frankly, I've got a higher grade on him right now than I had on Tevin Coleman last year from Indiana. And I loved Tevin Coleman. Loved his home run ability. But Jordan Howard has the build and the physical makeup of an NFL running back. He's about 6'1", 230 pounds. And this is what you need to know about Jordan Howard was really fantastic at Alabama-Birmingham and stepped his game up against the best competition when Alabama-Birmingham played the best competition. This is what you need to know about him this year. In every single game that he has been healthy in, and I'll get to that in a second, he's rushed for at least 145 yards. In every single game. He went for, I believe, about 170 in that neighborhood against Iowa. He hung over 200 on Michigan. He was hurt against Michigan State and had 11 carries, but he averaged over seven yards per carry. And then uh, was hurt against um, Ohio State. And really, that was the one game where he really wasn't putting up numbers against Ohio State. Um. Here's what I really love about Jordan Howard. He's big. He's a big runner. Good size. He has fantastic vision. He sees what's he sees the way the, the, the running lane is developing. He has instincts and usually chooses right. When it comes to a fork in the road, left or right, he's able to choose. But this is this is another thing. A lot of running backs will choose a side and that's that. And then they commit and they go, which is fine. But if things happen at the last second, he's got lack he's got last second shifting ability, which is a little bit rare for bigger backs. Now my player comp on him is pretty big. It's Arian Foster. 
And I've watched a lot of Arian Foster here with the Texans. And he's not exactly like Arian Foster in that I don't think his running tempo is exactly like Arian Foster's. And, I mean, Arian Foster had some just rare, rare vision. But a lot of the traits are similar. He's big. He's got decent speed to get to the outside. I think he's a good zone runner, although not quite the tight one-cut, sharp downhill cuts that Arian had. But he is a destructive finisher with massive aggressiveness, massive physical potential after the carry, I mean, after the first contact, which leads to a negative. His willingness to take hits and the big hits he takes could be one of the reasons that he missed four games due to injury and parts of three others. That's a big concern. Can he stay healthy? Is he willing to elude some tacklers and not take some of those shots? Is he willing to dial back his running style so he doesn't take some of those big hits? I've got a grade on him of 632 right now, 6.32, which is in the range of chance to become good NFL starter. And that's saying something. He's inside my top 30 players right now. The next guy I want to get to is Notre Dame left tackle Ronnie Stanley. Now, I'm a big proponent of offensive linemen. been studying it you know, for a lot of my life with a dad who's an O-line coach. But when I look at offensive linemen, you have to understand, what is it that this guy is tasked with doing? And Ronnie Stanley is being graded on his ability to protect the passer. And as a pass protector, I think he's fantastic. In my strengths, races out to the starting races out of the starting blocks and into pass sets as well as anyone in the country. Long arms and knows how to use them, plays with quick hands and a well-timed punch, never panics when he loses his hand placement, simply resets them. Here's something else. When Ronnie Stanley gets out on guys quickly with his quick sets, he's very, very difficult to beat. I mean very difficult to beat. And I think from a pass rush standpoint, he's flexible, he's athletic, he's got some recovery skill. As a pass rusher, he's going he's gonna to be up there in the neighborhood of Laramie Tunsil. I'm not going to say that he's in the same exact, you know, the same exact neighborhood, but he's definitely in the zip code. Quality pass rusher, that's the reason that he'll be drafted inside the first 10 picks. Now, from a weakness standpoint, you know, he does have some strength issues, I don't think they're overly debilitating, but I think there are some concerns with his overall core strength and contact balance uh, and upper body strength. He's gotten stronger, and I think he's gotten tougher, but those are going to be a couple of weaknesses. Um, His recovery athleticism when he's beaten, he's got it, but it's just average in terms of his redirectability. He can recover physically, but then the ability to redirect with strength around the edge or around the quarterback, I think that's a little bit average. And if he gets beaten, he's got the athleticism to recover. I'm not sure he has as much strength as you would like. And then from a run blocking standpoint, I think run blocking is going to be okay for him. I don't think it's ever going to be a big, big plus. But then again, I kind of have some similar thoughts with Laramie Tunsil in that regard. My player comp on... Uh, Ronnie Stanley is Lane Johnson, the first-round selection for the Philadelphia Eagles from Oklahoma. Both have great feet. Both are finesse pass protectors with great athleticism. Neither one has great core strength. So I think that's why you see that type of uh, comparison there, at least from me. And the final prospect from making the grade, and by the way, just for a second to jump back on um, Ronnie Stanley, you know, left tackle's carry a tremendous amount of value. And I know there's been arguments about, well, left tackle, right tackle, 
you know, there's there's metrics that say both or blah, blah. Listen, it doesn't take long to watch the open-end pass rushers and see how much more athletic they are. This is truly where the best pass rushers come from. There are more powerful pass rushers on the other side. And I'm not diminishing right tackles and their importance, but left tackles are still at a tremendous premium, and they're still much more important, in my opinion, than uh, than right tackles. Lastly, for making the grade, let's get to DeForest Buckner. I've got a 732. This is high. 732 is Pro Bowl to All Pro ability. Um, this is a high grade. And the reason I have this on DeForest Buckner, and I didn't expect to give this grade to DeForest Buckner, I'll be honest with you. He was kind of out of sight, out of mind this year based on Oregon's, you know, disappointing season. Didn't really think too much about Oregon. Didn't worry about him. I knew Buckner had some talent. Didn't think twice about him. When I finished the tape, I was impressed. Double-digit sacks from an interior pass rush position. Now, I watched him. I went to California. I went to L.A. and went to the NFL Network studios and watched some some tape when I was in town watching Cal versus uh, UCLA. And I watched Buckner, and I thought, eh, you know, he plays a little bit high. Pad level's a little tall for a tall player anyway. Doesn't you know gets pushed around a little bit because of leverage issues. So I wasn't going into tape expecting to be wowed by him. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even sure what my you know if he would end up in the top fifteen, top twenty. And when I was done, I saw a great physique, really natural power and strength in his hands. He got better as the season went on. He's not a content player. He plays through contact and continues to try to optimize his position as a pass rusher or run stopper. He's got. Power and dynamic athletic traits. He's improved his pad level as a pass rusher as the season went on. Great athletic uh, physical traits. I mean, great physical traits like length and height and power. Um, It's his pass rushing, though, from an interior position. This is what causes me to project him so highly. When you look at Calais Campbell from the Arizona Cardinals, this is my comp. For DeForest DeForest Buckner, I think he's got a chance to be a terrific run player because he's got the athleticism to chase guys down, you know, down the line. He's got strength in his hands, and he's going to fill out and get bigger. He's going to play at about 300 pounds and six foot seven with long arms and an ability to rush the passer. You add it all up. And those guys go high in the draft. And I think he's got a chance to really be a, uh, a big-time player, a guy who's ascending right now as a prospect. That's a look at how I come up with some of my grades right there on Making the Grade. 